You know, it happens every year. But well, this year has just. It slightly knocked the wind out of me. I wasn't ready for it. I, I just. I forgot that it comes around. Get to the punchline already. It's campaign mus, oh, Elaine. I see. Okay. It's campaign mus. The campaign games have started. What's, why is it called campaign mus? Well, because it's. Why is it the, the birthday of. Or birth of campaign? Because well, it sort of is, right? Every uh-huh. year there's a season. It I happens see. right after Gen Con. And, and it's different at every household. So probably in Canada it starts household. a little bit. Yes. Okay. The de- start date is different okay, in every house- household. Because, you know, some de- in, in Canada deliveries get pretty late for board games because they first get shipped to US, then they go to Canada, etc., etc. So, you know, but when the first campaign game after Gen Con arrives at your doorstep, that is the beginning of campaign I see. When you said household, I thought you were doing a cute bit there. Like, Canada's a household. England's a household. You're like, like everyone is a family. No, li- no, no, I see what you're doing. Yeah, I see what you mean. It literally arrives on your doorstep. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. So so ours has begun. Oh. Um, and, and it's a big campaign mess this year. Mm. There is uh, uh, this Kinfire Chronicles, which we're covering on this episode. Uh, there's... Sleeping Gods, Distant Skies, the Sleeping Gods sequel. There's Earthborn Rangers. There's Divinity Original Sin, the board game. And uh, the second printing of Oathsworn, or as we sometimes like to refer to it, Bloodsworn, has has been arriving at people's doorsteps you as well. You made that sound negative, though. We like that game. We, we love Oathsworn, we love but Bloodsworn is also Oathsworn, and Oathsworn is also Bloodsworn. We don't like Bloodsworn, <laughs> we like Oathsworn. I see. Welcome to Talk Cardboard, a podcast about board games and everything adjacent with me, Elaine, and you... Me, Efka. On today's show, we'll be badgering people for articles and squirrelling away the good ones in fit to print. See what I did there? Uh... Overcoming our life of wretchedness via resource management in Vindication and braving starless nights in Kinfire Chronicles Night's Fall. Oh, do you know that bit? I I don't want to jump ahead, but when when you were describing uh, Vindication, there was... It was an immediate moment of like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That, that's all wrong. When you were describing Vindication's theme. Well, we'll get the, the people will have to wait to find out. Well, they'll have to wait. Fit to Print comes from publisher Flat Out Games by designer Peter McPherson with art by Ian O'Toole. There's no way to begin this, uh, but invoking the very obvious comparison that everyone else has invoked. So if, if you've been around board games for a while, you might remember a darling from a decade ago called Galaxy Trucker. And a lot of people uh, had opinions about Galaxy Trucker. Uh, Some people loved Galaxy Trucker, and some people really liked the first part of Galaxy Trucker, but despised the second part. And, And so this is perhaps a game for people in the latter category, where they took the first part of Galaxy Trucker and then there is no second part. But I think that's sort of an, an oversimplification of what's going on. Uh, but the idea of Fit to Print is that it's a real-time game, meaning that, like, it's, you know, there's no turns. People just do things as fast as they can because there's a timer and they want to complete as much as possible. And in this case, the completion is doing the layout of a newspaper in an anthropomorphic animal society where, you know, the newspapers are called, like, the Evening Hoot! Or I can't. That's the best one. I can't remember the other ones, but the Evening Hoot is definitely the best one. They are cute names, names. but none of those names 
live up to the promise of the evening hoot. That's that's uh, true. That's definitely the standout kind one. Of brambly hedge type, you know, that kind of yeah. art, that yeah. theme. Yeah, exactly. My favorite character is Paul, who has a baguette. <laughs> in the knapsack i think they're a squirrel is that one of the like asymmetric player power yeah, characters uh-huh. okay oh nice yeah nice bit of mechanisms thrown in there elaine you're just talking about nonsense i'm gonna actually talk about how the game works <laughs> no i mean well I, you know what okay so here's the thing about fit to print it's setting and artwork are the indelible part of the game's charm and i think why a lot of people are gonna enjoy this game and if you're approaching it from just a purely mechanical standpoint, uh, I I don't know if you're like capturing the gamut of what fit to print is in its entirety, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It's it's more than just mechanisms. It is about its its vibe, its feel, uh, its uh, cuteness, and you know, charminess. Is charminess a word? Let's say it is. Charm. Yeah. Right. I could have just said charm, <laughs> but I said charminess. I like it. Oh boy, Afka. Yeah, it's it's the thing as a whole is mm. what is enticing you into this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if the theme was dark, dark newspaper making, uh, you know, the thing about newspapers is that uh in real life is that very often they're run by not so good people uh-huh. right so uh-huh. so uh i think they had to very much come away from that idea because that's the idea you have in your head that you know newspapers sometimes are not ethical a certain rupert comes to mind yeah not yeah. the bear yeah uh and so they very much come away from they don't want you to think about that when no, you're making your yeah. newspaper. They want you to be in this very cute, uh, animal, charming world where you're making lovely headlines about that. You don't really know what the headlines are. Uh, you do. Well, because they're on the little tiles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK, sure. But yeah, OK. But you, you know, the paper itself is only delivering you happy articles and sad articles uh, but you need to balance those out that's and um, you're going to talk about more about that anyway yeah so okay so the idea is that you, you you have a pile of a lot of different newspaper articles and you have like a layout board that's like the layout board is your newspaper so if your newspaper is the evening hood you'll it literally have like the frame of the newspaper and the spaces for these tiles that are all in a big pile and they're all face down And uh, the tiles come in various types. So there's articles and they have like headlines. uh, And then there's photographs as well. uh, And, uh, you know, they're just pictures, but they'll give you bonuses for certain types of articles adjacent to it. Because all the articles come in three different colors. There's blue, green and pink. For the types of articles they are. Yes, exactly. Uh, And also some photographs will give you bonuses for adjacent moods of the articles because in addition to the article's color each article has a sad mood or a happy mood uh and there's a whole other thing happening with that that we'll get to a little bit later um and finally there's advertisements uh so these give you revenue which is not a thing that scores you any points but if you have the least revenue at the end of the game you automatically lose so you want to collect you know, not the most revenue because filling it up doesn't really give you any benefit, but you want to have not the least. 
so that you just don't get immediately disqualified. And finally, there's your um, like kind of main headline thing. So uh, it gives you like a special ability for the round, special scoring condition. So it might say, hey, uh, for every blue article on the top part of the page, uh, you know, you'll get like extra points or whatever. Or it'll say, hey, after you've finished grabbing tiles and you start doing the layout of your newspaper, you can grab some extra tiles like as a, as a kind of a uh, one-off, two-off bonus. You know, then the timer starts and you go, ah, let's grab the, what, I, I need this, oh, no, this doesn't work, and ah, yeah. And the whole thing about fit to print is that you have to constantly manage a lot of levers, there's a lot of spinning plates. So uh, a blue article can't be next to a blue article, a green article can't be next to a green article, right? So you need to have a variety of uh, different various articles. Then also articles are kind of in a horizontal layout or a vertical layout. So you want to fit as much as possible because you don't want empty, empty gaps because the biggest empty gap area at the end of the round will score you negative points. So, okay, there's that to think about. Then articles have to be balanced in mood. Uh, you have to have an equilibrium of happy articles and sad articles because if your newspaper is just happy, then it's not successful. And if it's just sad, then it's misery lit and nobody wants that. If you have an equal mix, you know, that's good. Hey, so no, no, no negative points. And of course, you have to think about uh, revenue. So you have to fit that somewhere in. And then the pictures that you pick up, uh, you know, they'll have various scoring conditions. Like, for example, hey, have pink and green articles next to this picture. Okay, so you want pink and green, but then you want pink and green in the right layout. And then you want uh, pink and green that, uh, you know, happy and sad and all of that. So it, it just compounds this assault on your memory and planning skills uh, that you have to manage in real time. And it compounds it because uh, the whole real-time bit is split into two parts. So the first part is <laughs> you have this adorable little cardboard desk. Uh, and it's very, very cute. And it's very, very small. And all the tiles you grab have to be stored on that desk. And, of course, what it achieves is that, like, you have to pile them up. Because physically they are way too big for this desk. So it's not like you can lay them out nicely where you can see everything at a like eagle's eye view where it's like oh i have so many happy articles i need more sad ones no they're all in a jumble and you can't tell how much of what you have and so you have to when you take a tile they're all face down you take a tile you have to drag it to your desk then you flip it over then you see what it is then you decide whether you want to keep it or you know just throw it away back into the center and then you throw it to the center face up so then other people can see what that tile is uh, and then if you keep it, it goes on your desk and you keep doing that, doing that, doing that over and over. And then whenever you want to, you can stop doing that. But as soon as you stop, you can't take tiles anymore. You call, you know, layout and you have to shout that out loud. And then you're no longer taking tiles. You're spending the remainder of the timer just uh, trying to fill your newspaper with these tiles in real time as well. Uh, and, and that's sort of the game. I guess thematically... Uh, what is happening is that all your journalists who work for your newspaper are uh, writing the articles and chucking them in a massive pile. Uh, and you, as the editor of the newspaper, uh, they don't put them nicely. They, you know, they don't submit their articles nicely. They just chuck them in a massive pile in the middle of the room. 
uh, all their photos, all their articles, all, all the revenue ads and everything else, chuck it in a massive pile. And then you as the editor, because it's your job to go through and find out what they've actually written about and put them in your newspaper. And, and you're also doing the layout of this paper. So not only are you picking the articles, but you are you are putting them in the newspaper and on over three days and they gradually get bigger and bigger, the newspaper uh, as you go along. I think they nailed the vibe of what a newspaper uh, production montage often looks in movies. So <laughs> if you, you know, if you watch films like The Post or, yeah. or you know, uh, I don't want to say the Boston Strangler out loud, but that was a recent film about, <laughs> about <laughs> journalism in a way. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, you know, they, they have these montages where like, you know, things are happening fast and all the articles are coming in and someone has to put it together and the news is the news is coming, the news is coming at you and you're the journalist, you have to make it, it to print, just in, oh, let's go, you know, that, yeah. that, that you know, movie ideal. That phonetic yeah. idea of, yeah, of making it, paper. Did, I, I think that uh, they missed a trick. I think that instead of shouting like layout or whatever, you should have shouted, what a scoop! <laughs> or something like that. Oh, geez. I think yeah. that would have been much more fun. But the fact that you can only take one tile at a time with one hand, specifically the rules say this, is that you pick up a tile, look at it, put it on your desk mm. uh, and look at it and then decide whether to put it back or not makes it, uh, does slow it down a little bit. So it's not quite as kind of grabby and you're not, you're not smacking into each other as you're all trying to grab these tiles. It does calm it a little bit. It does. Um, so let's contextualize things a little bit. So this is from, from Flat Out Games. We we like Flat Out Games a lot as a publisher in terms of their output. Uh, we've enjoyed many of the games they've put out. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play Verdant, but uh, I like Cascadia and Calico and and Point Salad as well. I thought that was pretty fun. I, I should note also, I forgot to put in a weird disclaimer. So we're reviewing... Um, uh, our copy that we have purchased ourselves. But because this whole we're no longer accepting review copies thing is, you know, is going to take some time to propagate, somehow um, one is being sent to us without my volition right now. It's in the post. We don't have it, but we still should disclose that, by the way. Um, but so, we yeah. did buy the copy that we've played. But we are getting sent one, which I, I didn't ask for. But, you know, we should still disclose that. I think that's important. Anyway, we like publish a Flat Out Games output. And it, it pains me to say this, right? But I, I think this is uh, the one I've enjoyed the least. Having said that, I've still enjoyed this game a lot, you know. Uh, but in comparison to their other games, I didn't feel it was as strong. And I think... I, I mean, I can explain why. But I think my explanation will be very personal to myself and my own preferences and tastes. So I suspect that a lot of people will just like this game. They'll just find it fun. They'll find it pleasant. They'll find it thematic and, you know, frenetic, engaging. Um, but I have a couple of reservations. So I think where the game really works is in illustration and setting and, and all of that. And of course, the Ino Tool artwork really doesn't hurt. It's very nice. It, it suits this game as well. But in in terms of gameplay, I I find that real time games need some sort of a hook. 
a lot of people, like I said, say this, and I was one of the people who said this, that I, I like the first part of Galaxy Trucker. Uh, you know, if if it only was just the first part, I would probably enjoy that game. But then there's the thing that we've that you realize when you play just the first part of Galaxy Truckers that maybe the first part of Galaxy Trucker wasn't what I was looking for to begin with. Um, oh. And and I think for, for me, what doesn't ultimately grab me is that a lot of this is just this strange memory game, you know where you you can't quite remember um like what it is that you've grabbed but you need to like balance this equilibrium you need you know horizontal articles and vertical articles and how how much space does each article take up and every every day the newspaper is getting bigger so so the the margins are wider suddenly there's like one extra space horizontally let's say and then you need to account for that because you know if you had two uh tiles four squares in length you know they make up eight squares oh, okay that fits perfectly across the newspaper right and, and the next day it's now like nine spaces so you suddenly have a gap right it's things like that that you have to account for and that's where the chewy the gamey part of it resides right mm -hmm. can you remember and can you account for all eventualities under like a time constraint um and 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 can you sort of like juggle and balance all of them at the same time? And I think for a lot of people that that will be enjoyable. And I think it is enjoyable for me. And I I really don't say this disparagingly because there's this like annoying phrase: uh, "It's not uh, a game; it's an activity." I'm I'm not invoking that. Please don't take that away from this. But it is a very enjoyable activity. You know, this sort of like grabbing things and 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 you know kind of trying to memorize things but but like i don't know for me a, a fun part of real-time games is when real-time games put a twist so i'm thinking of things like now boarding or I knew you were. yeah or or for science where uh you know for science i, I guess they're both collaborative games yeah. but you know uh, now boarding has 30 second rounds right so the real-time part is just being fast, but then you get that sort of reprieve and crunch, right? And you get to think about things. And then for science is like teamwork, you know, splitting duties apart and figuring out, you know, who's going to be in charge of this, who's going to be in charge of that, and can we manage this under a time constraint? When real-time games don't work for me are games like Kitchen Rush, mm. where they say, Here's a cavalcade of things you need to take care of and one timer, go, right? And then you sort of just have to juggle everything. Um, and, and Fit to Print is it's a much lighter, much more approachable game than something like Kitchen Rush, um, where, where it's designed really well. Like I look at the design, I go, this is flawless. This is, you know, they thought about everything and they executed it very nicely and they did some really nice artwork. They packaged it, you know, in a great package, right? These little desks are adorable. The, you know, the evening hoot is adorable. But what you do as a game doesn't compel me. You generally tend to bounce off games, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you you often tend to bounce off games if they have a strong memory element in them. Yes. Uh, because it's an unfair advantage for people that have a better memory. Uh and I think that's something you don't like. Well, that, but also I don't like gamifying memory. Like, personally, you know, it's it's not just the kind of, like, 
one gets an advantage and the other one doesn't, right? I just don't find that an enjoyable, engaging uh, game activity, right? Mm -hmm. I enjoy it as an as a as a thing to do. That's fine, you know. But but there is that difference between like, you know, uh, where you engage with play just from a kind of a you know we're doing things together because it's nice and fun and we're doing things together because we're working something out i think there's a difference between that and and you get different levels of enjoyment between the two things i'm not saying that any way to approach games is wrong i'm saying that whenever you look at a game you can look at it from both perspectives and ev evaluate the strengths and weaknesses in each approach, in every single game. <laughs> Sorry, that made me think. Do you, do you think I'm overthinking fit to print maybe a little bit? No, I don't, because I think you're taking it as not just the element in fit to print, but in games as a, as a wider whole. Yeah. Uh, that when this element is present, it will immediately uh, pull some people in and it will immediately push some people away. And I think that's an important point to consider. Uh, because if like so I struggle I struggle to remember and the thing is with the the little desk that you have uh, because it is very small it's it's I don't know what size it is maybe the size of like a Gary Baldy biscuit right <laughs> <Nice> <laughs> just for reference for uh, Americans maybe a little bit bigger uh, or, or a size of a Tim Tam if you're Australian probably about that size I don't know some of Tim, Tim Tams are smaller uh, than a Gary Baldy yeah I think no. so yeah. I don't know. Or a penguin. Oh, it's like a penguin biscuit, no? No, it's bigger than it's a bigger penguin than, biscuit. Yeah, okay. Well, it's okay. like three penguins put together. Oh, well, there if, you go. If you, if you take two <laughs> penguins and put them side by side and then like horizontally and then a third one vertically, that's the size of that desk. Actually, that's a very good point because my next point was that I lack spatial awareness. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so actually that highlights that pretty well so i don't have a good spatial awareness and i don't have particularly good memory but but so that that point about be, having a memory a good memory is that because it's a small desk you it's very hard when you take the articles you can't kind of separate them out into i don't know five piles or whatever you know articles of uh, green articles pink articles blue articles mm. uh, adverts pictures blah 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 you can't do that because the, the table is too small so you can look through them anytime but it you are still trying to remember what you've got uh because you can't separate them uh, and you don't have time to keep looking through them because you've only got four minutes or three i think if if you're playing it on like burn mode or whatever <laughs> it is i don't know what it's called uh so so you do have to to keep in your head uh, a lot of things but but spatial awareness because you are planning out uh they're only um rectangular pieces so they're not weird shapes mm. but you are still trying to fit them all into this place so you could mathematically work it out yeah. uh, you could say okay well i have i don't know how many squares there are 55 squares so i need 55 uh, squares worth of pieces to fit into here in mm. in this configuration and you could do that but you i mean you don't because that's yeah that, that would be uh too much for this this small game um so i understand your your point you i definitely understand your point about uh it's it's enjoyable in a game to have something else to work towards and to figure out rather mm. than just kind of doing the maths of fitting things in so my problem was that I ended up with too many tiles or I didn't have enough tiles because I just couldn't figure out 
how many was the right amount to take. And I don't know if that is something that you would get better at uh, if you played it a lot, because you would get used to kind of how many tiles that you needed. But Mm. I, I don't know. What I do like about it is that if you take an article from the central pile and you don't want that article, you put it back face up. So everyone else can see at the table what that article is. And there is nothing stopping you at a later point in that same round taking it if no one else has. So you could look at it, go, oh, I don't think that works for me right now. Uh, And then, you know, you've taken a few more articles which have more sad faces on or more happy faces. And suddenly, actually, that tile is quite good. So you can take it afterwards you can also tell whether they're horizontal or vertical even when they're face down yeah yes you can yeah Mm -hmm. so that that is quite useful Mm -hmm. Uh, so you get some information no but that's the thing i i think you know from a a design perspective it's almost flawless like in terms of what it does you know it it really knows what it wants to do and it does it almost perfectly i think there's a non-zero sum of people who will, you know, find this, you know, one of their favorite games or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Because it is exactly what they were looking for and they are enjoying it because it's designed impeccably. The only the only actual design thing that I have a sort of kind of eh about is the revenue system. Uh, I understand why it's there, but just... I don't understand why it has to be that you cannot win if you have the least... Why, why is that there? Pressure. You know, like, like so, like so it, it forces you to fill up, you know, mm. your your newspaper with junk. Basically, that's <laughs> that's not really useful in any way whatsoever. It's just like you're gonna lose if you don't do that, mm. right? Um, so I, I understand why it's there. I just, you know, I had I had a play of this game where uh, we played it with someone who's fairly new to board games, and you know, they were eliminated at at the end of the game and it's just it made them probably not feel that Mm -hmm. very good so that's that there is also uh, there's some extra modes in in true flat out style there's achievements for the solo mode so the solo is really well designed in terms of like you know uh high score uh kind of and uh high score focused and uh various alterations as to you know Uh, hey there's this restriction now and there's this restriction now and try and do this in this game so they've done that really really well there's also um restrictions for different rounds uh small asymmetric player powers that i thought were cute and nice and yeah probably after your first game just always play with them because there's no reason not to it's a great production it's it's a great design and and half of that game i enjoy very much Is it the grabbing the tiles part? No, it's the it's the you know uh, players activity part, rather players you know puzzling out and crunching your brain. You know, I I enjoy that a lot. I I think it's it's very good. Uh, uh, and again, I'm I don't I want to find a better way to phrase this. Not like oh, it's it's an activity, not a game. You know, I I hate that phrase. It doesn't make any sense. But all all games are games, right? But but there are you know, different evaluation points at both of those levels, I think. I think I understand what you mean. Um, but it, it is, it is. there are very much gamey elements to it. Like yeah. you're scoring for different things. You're trying to work out where the best placement for these tiles is. Um, you're trying to balance various other things. You're And you're doing it under pressure. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that part uh, I don't find fun in this game. No, you know, you know. no. Uh, do you think it would, do you think you would enjoy it more if it didn't have real time in it? 
I mean, then it wouldn't be this game, would it? I don't know. If it, this this is fundamentally a real time game, that's that's kind of my point. Like the, the game as a whole, like you said, you know, work knows what it wants to do, knows what it wants to be, and does it. So I think if you were to change any of those things, it wouldn't work. I don't know. It's it's kind of like asking, would you enjoy a potato if it tasted like a beetroot? And I just don't have an answer for well, that. Then it would be a beetroot, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> You're just asking me for like a beetroot, but we're not talking about a beetroot. Okay. Overall, though, I enjoyed the experience of playing this game, but it's not one that I would uh, bring to every party or whatever. Yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't bring it to every family gathering. But saying that, it it was good playing it with someone who doesn't play a lot of board games. But like you said, you know, that end thing of, okay, well, you can't win now because you have the least revenue seems a bit unfair yeah i think it's it's a weird case of being uh, a bit too gamey and a bit not gamey enough you know um for me personally uh i again i'm sure somewhere this is going to be a perfect game for someone before we get to our next game we've had an email from lewis who agrees with me that there should be more board game fan fiction in the style of the trivia game and they've even written one for us they've, oh, they've okay. put it in the email so I'll, i see what's happening you know, because i like both of those things i don't think you like either of those things but i like both of those things so i'm going to read you what uh they wrote okay and you have to guess what the game is Okay. I wrote the instructions on the letter without thinking too much about the terrible things that would happen when it finally reached its destiny. To win this war is to play cards beneath the table to turn my back on my most trusted allies. It's better for them. In the end, they'll sit at my reigning table. Only I shall know how many of their compatriots I have sent to battles they cannot win, to missions they would never come back from. A last struggle is yet to be resolved, and I wish my victory was certain. I would be so sure if only the hawking eyes in mainland weren't looking for a chance to strike. I know they've reached my enemies. They've talked about aiding them. Those fools won't notice the puppeteer strings around their hands, but they won't stop me. They can't. With this letter, I'll seal the fate of the struggle and Essex will fall. If only I could promise my English lords it would be in their hands, but it won't. Essex? Essex. I guess if you send someone to Essex... No, it's Coventry. A a longer path. Oh, I see. You know, and they're going on a way. You could say that that way is the only way. way to, I mean, yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah. You send them. Uh, See what I did there? Around the M25. Yeah. <laughs> and north. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Is it the king is dead? Sorry, I spoke about that like we don't live in Nottingham. You wouldn't go north or anything. You go south from Nottingham. Yeah, that's true. Is it the king is dead? Ding, ding, ding. Right, it is the okay. king is dead. So uh, they said in their email, uh, they put the, the, the title of the game backwards at the bottom of the email so that I could play as well. But I cheated because I just wanted to check that you would know what the game was. So I looked mm. uh, because I thought if it's a game that we've not played or we don't know, that's going to be impossible. Um, but yeah, that's good, right? That yeah, good. well done. Yeah, yeah. that was really good. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lewis. And if anyone else has anything to say to us, let me know. Elaine at nopanincluded.com. Still to come, we have Kinfire, but first we have a game that features two places I used to spend a lot of time, libraries and inns. Vindication comes from... (laughs) Sorry. 
<laughs> I'm keeping that in, you know that. Vindication comes from... Oh, yes, you're editing it this time. I am, I am, I am. You boo, can't do anything boo. about it. Vindication comes from publisher Orange Nebula by designer Mark Needlinger with various different artists. So, uh, apologies to Orange Nebula. We've never reviewed any one of their games before. This is the first. Probably not going to make a good impression. <laughs> I did not like Vindication. I, I immensely disliked Vindication. Do you want to tell us what it's about first? Well, that that that's a that's a loaded question, Elaine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about something, certainly. All right. Okay. So when you told me about this game, and when I looked it up uh, on Board Game Geek. I thought, wow, this is going to be such an immersive world because you're you've done something awful, you've done something horrible, uh, and you've ended up being chucked off a ship, and but you found an island or whatever it is, like mm. some place that you've gone to, and you can redeem yourself, you can vindicate yourself from these things that you have done, you, you, you the struggle and the artwork. It's almost like the artwork for me, I don't know about you. Yeah. The artwork for me uh, reminded me of like Constable, like that kind of, everything is very clear, but yeah. it's almost got a dreamlike quality to it. Mm-hmm. Not sharp lines. You mm. know, everything is very dreamy. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, wow, the artwork is amazing. This uh, theme of it is amazing. This is going to be incredible. And it just, wasn't uh it just boiled down to uh resource management cubes <laughs> moving around yeah getting cubes get cubes spend cubes to do thing uh yeah yeah it was very bizarre the i i were probably not the first people to comment on this because vindication is a game from 2018 it is beloved by some beloved by others uh i'm a, in the middle of that you're in the middle of that yeah. put me in the latter camp oh definitely yeah yeah um i i i i the theming of this game upset me why because it doesn't make any sense right and not only does it not make any sense it it, it works counter towards the game because what it says is that you are traveling around an island and you're going to inns and you're recruiting companions and you're, you know, you're, you're leveling up because you're getting stats because you have like things like intuition and wisdom and strength and, you know, you, they're called attributes like in a D&D game. So first of all, this falls apart at so many levels, right? The play experience is nothing like, you know, these tropey fantasy or sometimes innovative fantasy things you know more on that later um but but also like why do you why do you lose wisdom to get a trait <laughs> i don't know i don't um, know what appealed to me about this i think was was that idea of regenerating yourself mm-hmm. like of a second chance you know everybody wants us to have a second chance everyone yeah. deserves maybe to have yeah. a sec- well <laughs> good people deserve to have a second chance uh, and the idea i don't you don't know what you've done it doesn't yeah. tell you what you've done no it's abstract um, it is abstract uh, but the idea of renewing yourself and becoming something and changing being able to change yourself i like the idea of that but n- that was not represented 
anywhere in this game. No, because what the game is, what these attributes are, they're resources. They're literally cubes, mm. right? And so you collect them. So this, I might have gotten the resources slightly wrong in, in this little rant that I did just before. So apologies for that, because they're so homogenous. I can't remember which one is which. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not going to look it up because I don't think it's worth it. Anyway, um, so you collect cubes. These attributes are cubes. And then you spend the cubes. What is that? That's a resource, right? And if anyone's ever played a board game, right, <laughs> like the mask falls off immediately. It's it, it's it's not going to stay on for long, right? Like it's it's so obvious that someone took a very economic game and put a setting on it that does not represent that economic no. game whatsoever. And I, I think there's some argument to be made that you can trick a person like who's into fantasy stuff to start enjoying a euro game but i don't think they will because because i mean okay so vindication is a weird game and i think i understand why people like it because that sort of core loop of it is enjoyable it's not a genre that i particularly enjoy but some people will like it you know it is collect resources to get different things those things will give you points absolutely everything in this game will give you points so, for example, the, the tenor of a regular turn is that you move one or two spaces um, and then you will activate like a hexagon that is next to you. So you move on a map, right? The map is composed of hexagons. If you reach blank hexagons, you will pull tiles from a bag and fill those in, right? So you're always next to three hexagons. And these hexagons do different things. But mostly what these things are is is spending some resources to buy a card or um getting some resources or some niche one or, one or two niche upgrades you know that you could get that will also give you points and one of these niche re, uh, upgrades is uh, increasing your move speed so you could now move three spaces or then later four spaces or then later five spaces but i found that the movement at least in a two-player game, because the game does not adjust the map size at all for player counts, it's so inconsequential that it doesn't matter how fast you move. Like, it, it does to a, li to a little extent, but, like, there's, there's very little difference between, let's say, four and five, right? But to make that more appealing to anyone who does it, right, it also gives you a lot of points just for doing that. So suddenly there is, like, an incentive. Mm. So... It is the point saladest of out of all point salads. If there ever was a point salad, this is the most salad in a point <laughs> salad that that I've ever seen because because points are everywhere and everything is salad. But even with that in mind, there are better games that do that. I mean, yeah, Castles of Burgundy, sure, right? Like if you want a pretty game, you know that that isn't like it's it's not got the setting of vindication, but no. But if you want a thing that constantly rewards you with you know that serotonin hit of getting a reward for everything that you do all of the time, you know, I think that's that's a better one. Um, so I, in broader terms, th there are some interesting mechanisms in this. There are three main attributes: strength, inspiration, and knowledge. And then there are these advanced attributes uh, to get an advanced attribute you have to spend the two resource the basic attributes that are tied to it you know so like intuition and and 
strength will give you courage, for example. I think, again, I'm probably getting all of these wrong because I haven't got the... I think so, yellow, red, orange. Yeah, yellow, red makes you orange, right? Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of like, there's this whole sort of up and down between like, uh, this turn, I'm collecting resources. Mm. This turn, um, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, getting like a big point card or something like that. And, and in some ways... Uh, where the game is interesting is that uh, when when you build up and get something what you get you know is generally interesting for example if you get a companion they'll give you slightly more resources and potentially like a turn modifying ability uh whereas before you could like move and then do your actions or do your actions and then move now you can interrupt your movement do an action and then move some more Mm -hmm. and that could be advantageous you know Mm -hmm. if you're trying to reach a certain location um you know uh, or, you know, you, you get a, a monster that gives you points at the end of the game for collecting traits, for example, which are these green cards that modify rules permanently, right? And if you've been collecting monsters and traits this game, that's a great monster for you to pick up because suddenly you're scoring more points at the end of the game. So, you know, th- there's things to do. It is not a game that will not keep you engaged at all, Right. Um, and I, I think that's why people enjoy that because it's big, it's bombastic, it's colorful. It's uh, is it big though? Is it bombastic? I mean, okay. So in terms of uh, production size, yes. In terms mm. of in terms of gameplay experience, I don't think it is mm. right. I think it looks much bigger than it actually is. You know, for me, it just felt like like I was writing code. Like, do this, and then this will happen. Mm. Like, or if I do this, then this won't happen. Mm. You know that kind of thing. That's that. I it, I just didn't engage me at all. The the mechanisms of resource collection and conversion and to get a thing didn't didn't engage me very much. And the other thing I didn't like about it was uh, the fact that the you you get end game uh, triggers. Uh, oh yeah, the I did not like the end game trigger system at all. No, uh, neither did I. And but what and you can talk about more about that in a second. But what annoyed me a little bit was that uh, so you get more end game triggers as as you get points. So there there is a space on the board where when you reach that space that point space, uh, you another end game trigger will be drawn. Yeah. Uh, and when we drew that. So we had three, I think, to start with. And then we drew, drew a fourth one. Mm. And I immediately could fulfill that. And I had and, no control over it whatsoever. had no control over that. And it was just, it was luck. Uh, I don't know, luck or, or whatever. That those, it, that I could do that. Yeah. And just, I could end just, the game and win. Just to explain to people who have not ever played it, right? There's a whole deck of endgame, contrig- uh, sorry. There's a whole deck of endgame triggers. Um, they could be anything. You know, oh, if someone's collected five of these cards or if someone's, you know, uh, covered up the entire map or if someone's upgraded or if everyone's upgraded all the speed or something like that, you know, there, there, there's a whole slew of them. And um, any could be present in your game. Right. And because they come out in the middle of the game as well. That's the part that I really dislike. Mm. Just drawing two random ones at the beginning and it's like, OK, well, that's the hand. It was you know? two at the beginning. It's it two at the two. beginning. Yeah. yeah. OK, sorry. You know, that's the hand. That's what we're playing for. You know, that's how we can finish the game. We can, you know, we can work towards one of them or whatever, have control of it, right? But then a random one comes out and suddenly, oh, like, okay, the game might end now. But like the scope of what I was trying to achieve isn't complete yet. But no, stop now. Stop. 
and and you're not in control of it. I found that infuriating. Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. Even even though I used it, I guess to my advantage, I didn't like it. Yeah, it didn't feel like oh yeah, the thing came out that I wanted because I was building up to these other things, uh-huh. and then suddenly oh, I don't need to bother anymore because I can just do that mm. <laughs> and end the game and win. Boom, done. That was very uh, deflating. Incredibly. Uh, so. I guess, yeah, once again, apologies to Orange Nebula. We've only played this game a couple of times, but we had such a miserable time with it. I didn't hate it, though. I There are bits of it that I enjoyed. I enjoyed mm. uh, getting the companions, even though some of them were negative for me. Uh, gave me negative points. And I was like, where did this come from? I didn't know this existed. Uh, uh, why Why would my, Why would I hang out with someone who because- is who doesn't like me and I don't like them because the game is so modular I didn't even realize it had this module they, like so the, the box comes with like many many modules to modify the experience which I guess like for you know in terms of uh variability you get a lot in this game we didn't try any of the expansions that are, were released subsequently from the core game so there's even more modularity if if you want it it's out there um, but yeah, the, one of the modules that I didn't even realize I included in the game to begin with, because I just stacked the cards like for like, it, like there's a whole separate stack of cards that shuffles into all the other decks of the cards that is like, I think it's called like treachery or something. And it's like uh, things that affect other players. It's the take that element, right? Mm. But it also gives you negative points when you get it. And sometimes you see the thing that you get, but sometimes the thing that you see is not the thing you want. So you draw from the top of the deck and you can invest like a very precious resource to like draw free rather than one. Or you can just draw one off the top and then you have to have that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so like, it's it's take that integrated into like a resource conversion and point salad game uh, but then on top of that it's take that that could take the take you that <laughs> uh-huh it's layers yeah and that's that is the kind of thing that you would know if you had played it a lot you'd know that you know there are these companions that will give you it see i don't like take that and again i don't i don't care about what you're doing particularly i don't want to try and mess your game up i just want to play my own game yeah let, let's shoot for the high so, score and see who's got better right so you know i think it just didn't fit with us i i, I can understand why why people like this game there are lots of elements of it that could be interesting the way you move the way the tiles are pulled out um the way you combine the resources what you do with those resources point serotonin point serotonin but i think it just did not gel with me at no I, I i i wasn't wowed by it because it's doing what a lot of games are doing with a theme that genuinely upset me um not not like in, in on any like moral level right it's just like this does not compute on any level, right? And then on top of that, the the end game triggers really just, you know, I didn't like that. Before we move on to our last game, you wanted to talk about contentification. Which is a word I made up. Yeah. Um, so Patrick H. Willems, who is a YouTube essayist on film, did a, a video recently uh, on the word content and I was like finally I've been saying this for years and it's not like okay it's it's a well-trodden ground by now I think I think almost anyone who's uh you know into media any kind of media has has 
heard some sort of grumbling about the word content and, and what it means. If you haven't, here's a brief summary. The reason I and many other people who make things do not like the word content is... You are not content about the word content. Uh, uh, no, no, get out. Okay. Anyway, uh, you know, uh, uh, okay, so here's the thing, you know, uh, I think it was Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or someone, right, wrote this thing called Content is King, right? And it was the prediction of where the internet was going to go. And it was bang on. It was accurate. Everything is going to be content. We're not going to sell films or or music or, you know, anything. It's just going to be content, right? Fill it with stuff and then sell the stuff, right? It doesn't matter what the stuff is. Just stuff, more stuff, sell it, right? Uh, it was a very accurate prediction. And that's exactly where the internet went. It is now all content. And uh, people who, you know, subscribe to the idea of where the internet is going... Um, and pushed it in that direction, now, you know, unironically use the word content and try to push that word content onto all of us so that we label everything as content, where that becomes a problem for someone like me or yourself or anyone who makes things on the internet, is that we don't do content. What we do is, you know, right now we're doing a podcast. Later, I'll be editing this podcast. Um, you know, um, we'll, we'll, you know, then write a script for a video. We will film that video. We will edit that video, right? We are also making reviews. None of that is content. These are all very different skills that we're honing and employing. And, you know, um, we're making things via the crafts that we learned. And especially on the internet, it's, you know, we have to learn a lot of crafts and be competent at quite a few of them um, to, you know, be A, successful or B, get get a work out there. I think I always had a problem with the word uh, content because it says nothing about what the people actually do or what the person actually does. It, I think it's a very lazy way of, of explaining. But uh, what you're saying takes that one step further yeah so um with that in mind now that we've reached some sort of a ground level of of why the word content is you know eh, not great um i, I want to talk a little bit about uh the recent uh developments from uh stronghold games and uh their um you know decision to employ uh ai art in uh, in their game. Liz Davidson did this great video from Beyond Solitaire, uh, where, where the point of the video is, is, is that, you know, so, some, some people maybe just want content, right? And, but, but a lot of what we all do and how we engage with board games is that we engage them as, you know, works of art. And sometimes we do talk about them as just products, you know. And sometimes we do uh, talk about them, you know, as works of art, you know, because, and sometimes they overlap and there's, you know, a little bit of both, right? But I've noticed, you know, aside from this, like, weird decision that I've already spoken out against, and I'm, I'm not going to reiterate the whole AI issue here. That's not, not, not really what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about, like, the sort of sequence of events that prompted these thoughts, um, you know, 
uh, Stronghold says, we're going to do AI, you know, and and then obviously I've spoken out against it on social media, many other people. And then Beyond Solitaire does this video, which I vibe with so well, because like it so succinctly explained all the issues. And I'm going to leave a link in the description for that video. And I recommend everyone, uh, you know, who's, you know, marginally interested in board games, you know more than just a passerby look, right? I, I think you should watch that video because it explains the issues very well. But but it led me to another kind of thought pattern and and um, disturbing trend, I guess I would call, is that I've noted that I've noticed in board game production and creation, you know, is contentification, right? Um, and we're going to talk a lot about it more in our video next upcoming video so that's going to be out next monday um but but also in a way we've touched it on our previous video if if you missed our video on lords of ragnarok and the decline of crowdfunding um you know that one's uh, somehow happened to be one of our most successful videos uh, uh but but i i think it kind of touches on some of the issues uh we've talked about how crowdfunding how certain games on crowdfunding have sort of warped the scene and how, you know, it's more content that is important now um, than, than, you know, actually, like, crafting a game. And I think that's a problem. I, I, I also want to very briefly add that if your takeaway from that video was that all crowdfunding is bad. That was not what I'm saying and not my intention. And I don't think that. I think that's absurd. There are so many games that would not be possible without crowdfunding. So many great ideas that still come out all the time where people put in so much work and so much craft and so much thought and so much care and brilliance sometimes, you know, into their ideas. And, and they keep appearing. They keep happening. They're, they're, they're there crowdfunding does not stop that it does enable that but there is that contentification side of things where board games are now produced like content and they are thought of in a way as content because there are certain tropes in crowdfunding that have become almost i think some publishers view them as necessary um where like our game has to have these our project has to have these steps to fall in line with contentification because then it will be successful so games have a competitive mode a cooperative mode a solo mode a module another module a box that has more modules <laughs> um you know uh it has every which way that you can approach a game and then it has a lot of content inside of it because because if you have scenarios as well there will be so much content you you will play this game forever you know, this is the only game you ever need until you back another game. Um, but that's what we've said before, mm. that um, there is this not necessarily good aspect of, of some Kickstarter projects where they sell you the dream. They sell you the idea that this is the game for you. This mm. is all you will ever need. Uh, so, oh, it, it's $250. Okay, but it's the only game you will ever need. It's the last game you will ever need to buy, mm. right? Until we make another one and, and do the same thing all over again. So there's this kind of false idea behind it. Mm. 
So here's the thing, though. I think where I don't want to be cynical about this, and I want to be very specific, is that I think a lot of publishers who do this, they still want to make really cool games, and they still put in the craft and to make an interesting game. And they just see the contentification as a necessity, right? So oftentimes, I think what you get now is a really cool idea that's been marred by this sort of, you know, expansion of what the game actually was into what it needs to be to be successful on crowdfunding. But, you know, it's, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And to an extent, it's our fault because this is what we're asking for. We have asked for more and more and more out of our games and we are not no longer content with the game as the designer intended it because mm. oh does it have a two-player mode oh no i don't want it then does it have a, a solo mode no i don't want it then you know this kind of thing and it's it's like when you photocopy something over and over and over again i don't think so i don't think that's that's our fault i think i think it's the idea that this is what the algorithm needs to be successful, <laughs> right? I, I um, honestly think that. I, I think the way crowdfunding is structured is that you need to catch the widest net. And the way you catch the widest net is you make a game that appeals to absolutely every possible denominator. Do you think that board games are now suffering from that same problem as uh, TV networks uh, suffer from, suffered or suffer from? Uh, when when people write a series for a TV network, is that the the censors or the people that are funding that program say, "We'll take this out because that won't appeal to these people. Take that out because that won't appeal to these people. Put that in because that will appeal to these people, and so on and so forth." Do you think board so. games are uh, so? It's not necessarily the the end user uh, issue. It's something in between. Yeah, I think so, and I think I think. Uh, publishers are forgetting that one of the things that sometimes you know excites people is is just like finding something that they really engage with and then you know just being very vocal about it and the problem is of course the crowdfunding incentivizes that you make this product once and it catches the broadest group of people and then you ha don't have to worry about it again because you've you've done the crowdfunding and then it goes away and then on to the next project right you don't that, worry about the game anymore. That's a cynical way of looking at it. But, but that's what happens, you know? That's literally what happens. People make the thing and they say, it's gonna only, only going to go on crowdfunding once. That's a lie. It usually goes on twice, you know, for those who missed it the first time. Because, you, you know, there is that word of mouth when it releases, so you catch that wave. Um, but yeah, you know, games are ephemeral now. They come. They go, poof, before they're even released, they grab a bunch of people and then they go away. But that's that's where that weird dichotomy is, that this is the only game you'll ever need <laughs> forever, uh -huh. but it's ephemeral. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It is. Um, that there is not, they don't match up at all. Mm. Um, so we are spending a lot of money to get a lot of things uh but then you know yesterday's no today's newspaper is tomorrow's chip paper or whatever it is whatever the phrase is so yeah it doesn't quite add up no i wanted to lay the groundwork for the next video which by the way is going to be pretty positive 
So I just want, it's not going to be another downer, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to be excited about a game, okay? So... Uh, you sound like you're convincing yourself there. No, no, no. I'm I'm pretty convinced that I I like this game, you know. But but I wanted to lay some groundwork for what we're going to be talking about. Do you have thoughts about contentification? Do you have thoughts about crowdfunding? Write in Elaine at nopunincluded.com. Our last game is Kinfire, which comes from publisher Incredible Dream Studios by designers Kevin Wilson, Daryl Hardy, Adela Kapuczynska. Brandon Perdue, with art by Katerina Redishuk, Katerina Bekus, Sandra Chelvinska, and Veronica Kozira. Thank you so much. That's a long list of credits. Uh, I like this game. I don't know about you. Uh, do you like Kinfire? That was a hardball right out the bat. Right? Yeah, right off I know. the bat. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, well, good. Okay, strong positive first impressions. Talking of first impressions, this is a first impression. Uh, so we've played out of the 21 possible scenarios in Kinfire. I don't know if you get to engage with all of them, right? There are 21 possible scenarios in this fantasy-themed campaign-style board game where you play characters that go on adventures. Uh, we played three out of the 21. So this is early impressions. It is very likely that we'll end up covering this uh, in video form sometime a little bit later, soon. Mm. But we wanted to talk about, like how we got on with the beginning of it and some of the things that we liked and some of the things that we didn't. So uh, just, you know, be uh, heads up, we like this game. We we like it. But there's some things we don't like about it. And I think we both agree on what these things are. So to set the stage, Kinfire Chronicles Night's Fall is a game where, once again, you, you take on a character, you know, uh, and and that process is immediately like slightly different and slightly cooler than other games because you open this box, right? And the box is big. Like, think Descent, third edition, you know, Legends... Too Many Bones as well. Legends of the Dark. Yeah, Too Many Bones is... That size box. I think it's bigger. You think it's bigger? I think it's bigger. Too Many Bones is wider. This is, like, Ah. chunky, you know? This is a cube that you get, right? You know, and you open this, and the lid is a magnetic clasp, and then on the other side, it's your game board, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, this is cool. And then these character folio packs. It's very well thought out. You take it out, like this artwork of your character, right? And the, on the back is a little bit of the backstory. And also, like, their unique ability. So it's like a little bit of story, like flavor, who you're playing. Also a little bit of crunch. It's like, hey, if you play this character, you know, you're a ranger. But you also get to provide a little bit of a defensive bonus to people who you weave around, you know, and it's like, oh, cool, I want to play that. So I play the ranger. Uh, but there's also like, you, so you take the lid off. You, you don't even see these character boxes first. The first thing you see is a box that says the welcome pack. Aww. I know, it's so neat. And like you pull it out and there's like, oh, hey, welcome to this world. You know, here's some chits and dials. If you'd like them, here's a little getting started booklet, right? Like it's it's very well presented. It looks gorgeous, right? It, it's immediately evocative. It feels different. Um, uh, and then on top of that, you know, like it's a pretty neat game. I quite enjoyed the game, right? Uh, but but like, 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 let's break it down. What happens, right? So uh, much like in uh, our previously discussed uh, Bloodsworn, uh, you know, there are 21 scenarios. And like each scenario is a little bit of story 
and then a little bit of combat. And the main difference here from many of these games is that really it is a little bit of story and a little bit of combat. Each scenario is like 60 minutes of gameplay, it says on the box. And I'd say that that's about right. Yeah. There is one caveat to this, which we'll discuss much later. Um, in the grump section. In the grump <laughs> section, right? But we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, like y- you get like a little bit of story and a little bit of combat. And the combat is really fast, really snippy, really um, tense in a way. I kind of like it. I I like it. So one of the things that it does, which felt immediately very fresh, is that uh, it now falls into what has pretty much become the standard um, dungeon crawler, uh, you know, uh, offshoot, which is the boss battler, where you're not battling a lot of many enemies. You know, there's not like mooks and mooks and mooks and mooks, right? Um, I think like you're fighting one horse, not fifteen flies. Yeah, exactly, right. And that horse, you know, it can kick, it can gallop, you know, it can do different things, and you kind of have to figure out this tactical puzzle around what it's doing, right? I want to preface this by saying, if you're listening to this and you're interested in Kinfire, uh, th- th- we will provide some early mechanical spoilers in this discussion, but like nothing that you wouldn't find in the first couple of you know sessions, right? Uh, and, and nothing that's like tremendously groundbreaking. If you want to go into this game completely fresh, then maybe don't listen to this segment, you know? Just know that we like it, we have some reservations. Uh, but we're not going to provide any story spoilers for this entire thing, so if you're worried about that, that's, you know, we're not going to do that, but we are going to discuss how the story works in a little bit of detail. It's a world that, that throws you into it immediately. As it is. soon as you start reading. It is, yeah. Uh, and y- 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 the characters look interesting you know they're like um i don't know they're they're very well illustrated they are yeah and they they feel different enough that like you feel like i'm identifying with someone here uh, but they're, they're also mechanically archetypal like i'm playing the ranger you're I'm playing, playing the bard you're right right <laughs> like it's very clear what they are like one of these uh, that that's the warrior tank type thing mm. you know like you know uh, so you know what you're getting yourself into, right? Um, but but it's also cool because the warrior tank type thing is like a, a, a sort of a machine construct, right? Mm. Animated by Kinfire. But like there's also a muffling that is attracted <laughs> to that Kinfire. So that's your companion pet. You have a muffling pet. So like <laughs> there there is cuteness here that, that feels... Because moths like yeah. light. Yeah, it feels that, like, you know, thematically they've done enough to separate these characters into something that feels archetypal, but also unique. Uh, Like, they're of this game and of this world, rather than just, like, another generic kind of, like, oh, yeah, whatever, right? Yeah, and and considering that the backstory was very small, it was, like, three or four sentences, I did get a quite a good idea of who you were and who I was. Yes, exactly. I, I, th- I said to you, uh, my character sounds really annoying because it says like <laughs> they always have always have a song or a poem for every occasion. I was like, ah, oh, no, one of those people that just yeah. like burst into song. Like, you, you know, you tell them, oh, my car broke down this morning and suddenly they
they've got a song about your car breaking down. Yeah. Like, oh no. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I chose that character because I wanted to play a bard because mm-hmm. uh, they sounded like a lot of fun. Is it because you just recently watched the D and D movie? No, it's because I like the idea of someone that sort of travels around like a traveling uh, bard. Bard. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> traveling what? musician, traveling right? Traveling musician, yeah. Is it because in Zelda we had that Beedle. quest with the yeah no with no. the musicians? Oh, you know, with, oh yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah maybe. Because you never gravitated towards bards before. You no. had a, you had a change of heart. No, but I I yeah. think I like the idea of some like like Beedle also in Zelda. That's what I thought you were talking about. Like someone who goes around with their their everything that they have as their work with them right i see and does the thing anywhere at any time i see that's cool like that's almost cool. You, like like we were saying about i was saying about in uh, vindication about reinventing yourself every time uh-huh like it's almost like that that everywhere you go you're a new person mm. and you do the thing that you do mm. i don't know i just yeah that that's sung to me okay so like I mentioned, you fight like usually one or maybe two monsters, but like it's a tactical puzzle more than anything. And uh, the way you do that is you uh, take turns and on your turn, you can play one card in a deck building game, which sounds kind of funky. And it is funky. It is funky. Uh, yeah. And it kind of works and it's kind of cool. So basically, uh, your deck is normally composed out of like 18 cards mm-hmm. and uh they are nine card pairs each card pair is an attack card and a boost card so you will always have nine attacks and nine boosts um and the cool and funky thing about that is that when it's your turn you play one card um and it's usually like it's not called an attack card it's called an an action action card. card right um, sometimes these cards say you can play another action card afterwards. So you you might play more than one card on your turn, but that feels like a gift. That feels like that happens rare enough that it's like, oh, the, I feel lavish right now. I'm playing two <laughs> cards rather than one. It's good. Um, but but most of the time, yeah, it's just one card, and it's usually an attack, and that attack will have various effects, and you know, like. I, it'll do things right it might, it might put a condition yeah uh monster. whereas the boost cards you play outside of your turn and they will do various helpful things to other companions but cards also have colors and attacks have colors and monster attacks have colors and you have to match the boost card in terms of color to the color that you are assisting or, you know, preventing or whatever, right? So there's this nice little system of like, hey, do I have the right thing at the right time? Um, And it's also nice because you're constantly thinking about how can I support my partner, right? Because here's the thing, this game hinges not on this card play system, but just on how deadly and random it is. And I think the randomness might off-put some people. I was fine with it. I was cool with it. Once I kind of got around to it, I'm like, Phew, okay, no, I think this is manageable because, like, it just presents so much peril that, like, at any point you could just die, right? Mm. Um, and the the reason that happens is the turn order system. So anytime it is going to be someone's turn, you draw a chit from a bag, and that says whose turn it is. Um, so chits come in various flavors. So there are chits that just have your character's portrait. If you draw that, 
it's that character's turn, right? There are also free chits that just have hearts on them, and they basically say, uh, pick any one of the characters, they can have a go right now. Uh, but then there are chits with just numbers, and any chit with a number activates the monster. But what part of the monster it activates depends on the number. So monsters usually have like three uh, different attacks or abilities or whatever. Uh, and they'll be like, let's say the first one will have the numbers one, two, three, four. The second one will have five, six, seven, eight. And the third one will have like uh, nine, nine, 10, 10 11, 12. 12, right? So if you pull out an eight, you know that you're activating the second ability, right? Um, and you'll notice that I just listed 12 numbers. And then there are two special chits for the monsters that might activate a certain ability or like a special ability. Uh, and then there are, uh, you know, the free any characters activate. And then there are the 12 more chits that uh, compose the character portraits. So in total, you have uh, 12 plus 12 plus 3 plus 2. That makes... 29 chips in the bag which means that you could very feasibly draw monster attacks monster attacks monster attacks monster or, attacks or like in our case it was you 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 monster you you like that right yeah and the funny thing is like it was me 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 monster me you know and and then but the the, the couple of times the monster went it ravaged you yes, so badly it it that we genuinely did. didn't want you to activate so when we pulled the chip that says anyone can have a go we looked at it and went <laughs> well it would be fair if you had a go but it's probably best if i it's have a wise. go yeah so it creates a lot of peril right because on a very and again i think this is a bit of a downside i understand why the system is like this but on a very first adventure uh the game started by a couple of tutorial turns where I had to, I got to have a go because I was reading the rule book, and then the monster had got to have a go, uh, and then you know the rails came up and just just said, just start <laughs> pulling chits, and we're like okay, so it was like monster, 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 and then we realized if we pull another monster chip, we're dead, like we're genuinely just dead, and we didn't even get to do anything. We could we could have very reasonably lost that game mm. without having acted. And I think that's going to put some people off, you know. It was fine with me because then it put us in that sort of position where we really had to think, like, how do we get out of it? And there's there's some allowances. There's paid tokens that let you draw fortunes instead of one and pick one. But they're a limited resource and they carry over between adventures. So you want to save them up, right? Yeah, we didn't. We, we didn't did end not. up saving any. But we didn't lose that scenario No, we as didn't. Well, That's right? true. I think it gives you a slightly false impression, or it gave me a slightly false impression that it was going to be a little bit more fluffy than it was. I don't mm. know if it was the art or the way it was presented or, or, or the way that the combat is structured. It gave me the impression that, that it was going to be quite breezy. And it absolutely was not. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was quite punishing. Um, no, and because at one point we went, oh, we really have to think about how we play this out. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not kind of a given. But that was nice. That was yeah, an oh, appealing not, thing a, for me. It's yeah. not a criticism yeah. at all, no. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It made us think. And it did give us the tools. There's a lot of these like conditions that you can impart on the monster. And it, what's really cool is that like 
when you give conditions to a monster, so for example, there's a condition called trap, which prevents the monster from moving, right? And the monster is always focused only on one character. And it will try to reach that character. It won't care about the others. So if you can give yourself some distance... And if you could pepper all of its actions with trap cards, because if if the monster has three actions and two of them have a trap condition on it, if I pull out the chip, so like the one, two, three, four has a trap, the five, six, seven, eight has a trap, the nine, eight, nine, you know, sorry, yeah, nine, there's... 10, 11, 12 <laughs> does not have a trap. So if we pull a 10 out of the bag, it will move and it will attack me, right? Yeah. But what's cool about it is that if we do pull an eight, it will not be able to move. It will not be able to reach me if I'm not on the same space. It will not be able to attack as it has a melee attack or whatever, right? So, like, it immediately made us think and go, oh, wow, okay, there's a lot of variables. And there's a lot of ways we can play this. Mm -hmm. And some of them are very risky. You know, what if it activate, activates the action that clears all the statuses off of it, right? There, there was a lot of crunch and there's, there's this whole other system about when you draw a new hand at any point you only have if you only have boost cards you must discard your so you hand you don't have an action card yeah and you must draw a new seven cards it also gives you like your special super card you know it activates it charges it up that's neat but it also clears all of the armor that you've accumulated which prevents damage on you which is powerful. Or sometimes it clears all of the hurt. Yeah, which, you know, when you you start your turn, for each hurt card you have, you take one damage and then you discard only one of those hurt cards. They stick around. You have four of them. That's four damage, you know, out of 16 or 18 or whatever, right? That's mm. a lot, mm. right? And, but then you have, like, free damage at the start of the next turn again. But if someone outside of your turn plays a boost card and says... This boost card lets one of my friends draw a card or discard a card. They discard their last action card. They bin all of those. You know, there's so many plays that you can engineer that let you manipulate the system and navigate the system. And what's really neat about it is that this whole, like, you play one card and you move one space. You know, it's an incredibly simple system. It's like, I do X damage that's written on the card and then... You know, I move one space. That's like what you're doing in the yeah. game. Mm. It's not hard to understand. Mm. It's It doesn't take forever. It's like, it is like 45 to 60 minutes for story and combat, mm. right? I think it works really well. Yeah, there were lots of things to, to think about um, during the combat and also during the story because the story will give you different choices that you can do and that will potentially benefit one player over the other depending on what you choose mm. um and that that was interesting that was that was fun i i for me neither part of it was massively strong but i enjoyed playing it it didn't wow me but i had a good time with it i would say that i was wowed a lot more by the combat than by the story and i think that's sort of so far where this game's problem lies um and okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna compare it to some high standards right now, mm -hmm. right? When I say the story of Kinfire feels serviceable, I am doing it a disservice. <laughs> but it is serviceable. It is nice and different and 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 kind of more adventurous than your standard run of the mill adventure 
uh, style game with fantasy trappings, you know, it's definitely better than something like Aeon's End, you know, Legacy that we've Legacy of Gravehold that we've reviewed in a past episode. It it feels more cohesive. It feels more thought out. The characters feel like they are characters, but but I didn't feel like the story itself or the characterization itself at any point was interesting enough that it elevated it to this new standard that some other games have recently achieved. I am mainly talking about Artisans of Splendent yeah, Vale and yeah. Oathsworn because I think they've both done... They had very strong story elements. They had really strong story mm. elements. I, I find this especially like weird middle ground between those, those two games. Artisans of Splendid Vale was incredibly bright and cutesy. Uh, and had really good characterization, you know, uh, and just turgid and slow combat that I thought felt about a decade too old, <laughs> you know. It, it it felt tired by 2012 standards. Mm. Um, this is almost the opposite of that. This is, this is slightly darker in tone, but only a smidge. Uh, but the characterization is nowhere near as strong. But the as, combat... Uh, yeah. system is much better it is yes whereas something like oswan it has a very dark tone a you know long play time very complicated rules but but combat is also very strong and the characterization is very strong so this is the middle ground between the two where it like it, it kind of does story okay it does combat light but interesting right and and the tone is is lighter it's much lighter than something like oswan but but it is not characterized enough to make me feel like i'm in the world that is alive right. and i think that is the point like i don't mind it's, it's not as if i i need the game to you know win a pulitzer for its writing right yeah but i need it to immerse me in that world and like i said at the very beginning of this this uh talk that the game does immediately put you in the world and it does but then it doesn't expand on that enough for me it doesn't mm. elaborate it doesn't flesh that out enough uh particularly you know like you were saying it is it is serviceable um and and the writing isn't bad it just feels a bit more kind of montagey like everything is done very quickly and okay this is what you're doing this is what you're doing okay and then there's the combat now mm. and it just didn't something like oath sworn gives me a broader picture of the world that i'm in and why i'm doing the things that i'm doing within that world why i'm fighting these monsters at this point but it also feels lived in right right, right. Yeah. yeah i feel like this is who i am this is what i'm doing and this didn't quite give me yeah. that that feeling yeah somewhere between artisans and splendid bell and kinfire is my perfect game like genuinely it, <laughs> yeah i think i agree with you if on that. if if you know you had the characterization of of artisans and the combat of kinfire i think that might be my favorite game ever mm. i i think i would love that <laughs> that's, game that's strong Efka. I, I i think i would genuinely want to play that game over and over again I, I love the characters in Artisans so much. I identified with them. I felt what they felt, mm. right? For a game to achieve that, that was incredibly strong. And the story parts were more interesting as well. The puzzles were slightly more elaborate. Mm. You know, like the um, 
you know, they, they, they felt maybe a bit more contrived, but also at the same time, they were more involved. They were more interesting. Uh, a lot of the story mechanisms in Kinfire are like, draw some cards at the top of the deck. Have you got the right color? Yes, no, right, exactly. right yeah. binary kind of like penalty or, or, you know, reward. Having said that, having dug around within those, and this is so early impressions, our opinion might change of this course. completely. So please take what we say with a grain of salt. But having dug around within the bones of the story structure of these three scenarios that we played, um, you know, I was like, oh, okay. You know, the first scenario that we played had the most story and it had like the bits where I could really dig around. I was like, oh, okay, I see how you constructed this. I see, I see like, you know, um, you know, where it's fair and where it isn't. And mm. it felt fine, good, okay, it worked, right? But again, I wasn't, there wasn't like a kernel of something truly interesting there that made me go, wow, okay, this is cool. But it did resolve. The story did resolve yes. in a sensible way. Yes. Um, and the combat after that bit of story did make sense for, mm. they did go together. So yes. I, I think that's, that was a strong point for me. Yes. And the characters that are there and the characterization that is there, that is there, is likable. You know, mm. at, at no point do I, did, did I go like, oh, yeah, whatever, I don't care. No, you know, like, I care. You even started doing voices at one point, which, you know. Is well, we, di we didn't get things. the foreteller narration, so someone had to, <laughs> you know. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, uh, I, I, I liked it. Another comparison I want to kind of bring in is is uh descent legends mm. is it legends of the dark the latest one i think yeah I think yeah so. yeah you, you know the one that came out a couple of years ago the reason i bring that in is because that does combat that is nearly as interesting as as kinfire and does characterization that is you know also about as strong as 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 artisans not quite as strong no. but but nearly there but the reason i bring that comparison is the price because currently kinfire retails at 149.99 uh, which is dollars, which is Descent, you know, Legends of the Dark price range. Uh, and uh, and also, if you get the Uber Deluxe component package, which gives you more acrylic standees and, you know, special chits and, you know, neoprene mats and what have you, right? You know, that's another 110 or something right. like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's in the range of $250. I, I really wouldn't spend the upgrade component money the game doesn't need it the components are fine as they are in the 150 dollar box and it is perfectly resettable for those of you who are keen to try this out and maybe pass it on to someone else you know that's that is an option and i feel like i'm doing a consumer review by now but wow that, that that's an expensive game you have to consider these things right like you it's Can I a say big one, investment one tiny very tiny thing about the production that i like yeah so the acrylic standees that for your character are double-sided so one side has the front of them and one side has the back of them I, I don't know why that pleased me so much but it just did that you could see what they look like from the front and the back there is a, there are a load of nice touches okay so after all of this i bring you to my last bugbear and is it the wool if by wool you mean the wooliest uh rule system in the world okay i'm exaggerating uh i'm <laughs> hyperbolizing for effect um no that's tautology i know 
I did it sure. deliberately to for effect to peeve you. <laughs> um, so, Kinfire uh, Chronicles uh, employs a learn to play uh, approach, which is that you learn as you play. It's not the first board game to try to do this. There have been examples in the past, like this War of Mine or Ian Trespass. And other games, I don't think any of them succeeded. I think this gets the closest, but I don't. I still don't think it succeeds. And I, I think what bothers me is the sort of decision that that's how I'm going to learn. Okay, so here's 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 the thing that happens. So you open the welcome pack, and then you get this booklet, and the booklet says, "Oh, hey, you're going to learn the rules as you play." Okay, cool, right? I'm 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 down to try this out, right? And it says, "Oh, just open quest one, and then you know you'll you'll learn as you play." Okay, and then you open the quest one, and the first thing that happens, it says, "Here's the rules for combat." There's a combat rule book. Read this. Mm. You could have given me the option to read this in advance, right? Rather than gather gather everyone around at the table and and make then them <laughs> make them wait as as we all read it out loud together right or worse one person yeah. reads it to themselves and then teaches everyone else because here's the thing people learn in different ways right there is no one way that is universal for everyone uh, to you know learn to play and, and kind of you know be like yes okay this 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 works for everyone there just isn't like okay i have adhd right what if i'm playing this game with four people, two of them have ADHD, two of them don't, right? Now, not, not everyone's ADHD is the same as my ADHD, right? But I know that a lot of people will with ADHD will identify with this. If someone's reading rules to you, you will not focus on them. You cannot, right? So in, in, a, in a group of four where two people have ADHD, if one person is reading the rules out loud with ADHD, they'll internalize them. But the other person who's listening with ADHD will not. That's a problem. I think as long as it doesn't spoil any anything, then I don't know why it can't just be in a book that you can read prior to playing the game. Yeah. Like the combat. Knowing how to do the combat would not yeah. spoil the story of the game or the, or the surprises exactly. in the game. Some people like to be taught as well. Some people genuinely enjoy to be taught. They much prefer that to reading the rule book themselves or learning on the go. They like it when someone who is knowledgeable, you know, will explain it to them. We'll be like, hey, do this, do that, you know. And some people like to learn as they go, but with someone curating the experience, mm. right? People will say, hey, well, you know, just teach us, teach us as we play, right? Yeah. You know, locking the rule book behind like this this little, you know, parcel that you only open up when instructed. And you keep doing that, by the way. It doesn't just happen on, you know, quest one, it's in quest two, it's in quest three. I, I understand that they were shooting for something here. And honestly, because of the lightness of the rules and how how everything almost everything is on cards and the cards explain sort of how the game works, they almost get away with it, you know? I feel like the experience was tolerable for me, you know, especially because I got to be the one who read them out loud. If you read them to me, I would have I would have cried, I think. Mm. But there's no because there's no rule book, there's no index either or way to look things up quickly. Very. Yeah, easily. I think this would have worked if there was also like some sort of a video companion or something. Mm. But but it needs a glossary. Right. I, I would like to when I'm looking things up 
not have four different booklets <laughs> that have the information spread out between them, but like just has everything in one rules reference somewhere in the box, right? Do the tucked away hidden booklets, but then have a rules reference where I can, I can, you know, I have an index, I can refer to how a rule works. I just think that would be so much more approachable and, and frankly accessible, you know, um, there was an accessibility issue with this for me. Mm. And I found that slightly unfortunate, especially because a lot of the rules are hidden on cards, you know, mm. like, for example, you know, like I had a question. If you have an armor card, which prevents damage, right? And you have a condition card that imp imposes damage. Does How do these two cards bounce off of each other? And I was looking through the rule book and I couldn't find it. It turns out the information is on the cards. And thank you so much to designer Kevin Wilson, who promptly answered that for me on the BGG forums. He's doing a fantastic job answering everyone's rules questions, collating an FAQ that, you know, um, you know, has a lot of information there. Uh, Errata already, you know, so they're on the ball, right? And I don't want to fault them too much for this. But but I I struggled with the rules. I know not everyone will. I know some people will be like, it's completely fine. What are you talking about? Oh, that's great for you, you know? Like, if you're enjoying this, great. I, I, I struggle with that, mm. you know? I was fine with you reading it out to me because I needed to know how we could proceed. But I didn't like the fact that we were looking through books to try and find the bit that we needed to find. Mm. Like that's, that's when I switch off is when like, I can't find what I need to, I don't mind, you know, you reading something out to me or, or me having to read something again to, to find out how it works. But it's when I can't find the thing I, 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 I know I can't be bothered with that. But um, yeah. So, so maybe having the rule book, done in different ways like have it spread out but then also have something with an index um and and maybe like you're saying you know maybe the faq and, and stuff like that will really help like you can print it off or whatever and and have those questions answered uh, to hand um but otherwise otherwise um i thought those books uh, apart from the sort of accessibility mm. issue did a good job of teaching the rules piecemeal they did like, I mean, some of this, like I said, some of this works. We did read through them, didn't take too long, no. you know, and off we went and we had a nice time and I'm looking forward to playing more of it. We will try and try for a video, actually complete the campaign because because yeah. there's not that much of it. And, and it doesn't take that long. It doesn't take that long. So, you know, we'll we'll have a pretty... And I am enjoying it, yeah. Yeah, I am enjoying it. I think we'll have a pretty comprehensive picture by the time we're done of this entire game. I'm hoping that uh, as we go along, more of the story will emerge. Uh, mm. Not not so much even the story, more of who I am in this world and I'm, why I'm doing the things that I'm doing yes. will emerge and, and put that together in my head a little bit better. And it is something that I am excited to find out and play again and keep playing to to discover these things and discover what, what monsters are in these in this world and how the kinfire works in this world. I, I particularly liked uh, the way the combat is is done in that you draw from the bag to mm. see whose turn it's going to be and the amount of tension that creates uh, right because it's so unpredictable yeah <laughs> in the, okay because we were even saying like well okay so if if we draw the next chit and it's you then this is what we can do if because it's cooperative it's collaborative yeah. 
uh, if it's me, then this is what I can do. And, and what, okay, what's one thing though is that it doesn't quite uh, explain how much you can talk or how much you can't talk. Mm. Um, so we were kind of just sharing all the information between us of, okay, well, I have a card that will help you if, if you have a card that does this. Okay, and I'm, I might be playing this if it's my... T- so I don't know if, if we were playing... I think that's the intended experience. I think so, because I think it's meant to be very collaborative. Okay, well, it was. Yes. It was very, very collaborative. We we almost, not quite, but almost played with open hands in that, like, okay, I think I can do a thing. Okay, can you? Well, can you boost that thing if I can do the thing? Okay. Or if the monster goes next, uh, will it refocus on you? Will it? Like, we were really planning out... uh, what was going to happen in in every eventuality that was and I fun. Found that fun yeah, yeah i enjoyed that I found that really fun um and uh when it came to the uh story element um and we were saying okay well we have to share these negative things out between us who's going to take these and how will we figure that out in the next kind of combat scenario and i found that really fun yeah hmm yeah, so and overall, I had a really good experience with this, and I'm looking forward to playing more of it. And do you know what? The podcast is pretty much over. We could just go play another one right now if you wanted to. No. That's all the games. If you have anything to say about any of them, don't forget to drop me an email, elaine at nopunincluded.com. Thank you so, so much for listening. And finally, Efka, what is the game of the episode? And also, what can people find on our bonus episode? Ooh, on our bonus episode, we talk about La Granja, which we finally played for the first time. This game has been out for a while, but now Publisher Boards and Dice have released a deluxe master set. So we thought... We should, we should give this a spin. We should definitely give this a spin. And uh, in our newly branded segment, On The Take, we'll talk about another trick-taking game. This, this one's a climbing, shedding, two-player game called Ptolemy. You can find the bonus episode uh, by subscribing to our pra- Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash included. The link is in the description. Uh, you would give us some money every month, and in return, you would get a bonus episode Almost every time a main episode comes out, we are going away to Essen Spiel. Woo! So uh, in two weeks' time, the next Tall Cardboard episode is going to be a best of the bonus. So those of you who don't subscribe will get some of the bonus segments that you missed out on as a kind of a clip show because we're away and we need to do a <laughs> clip show. Uh, so there will be no bonus episode next time. But every in every other case so far, every time there was a main episode... There was a bonus episode. And if you want all those bonus episodes, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash included. You know, give us a little bit of money every month. You will get those in a separate feed with the main episodes together as well. It's a nicely curated feed. Do that and you will help us out. My game of the episode is Kinfire Chronicles. What about you? My game of the episode is also Kinfire Chronicles. And with that, why don't you say goodbye to contentification of board games, Elaine? Goodbye to contentification of board games, Elaine. Goodbye to contentification of board games, Elaine.